Good morning, Storyline. It's good to be apart together. I was reminded last week by two different people, actually, that on, way back on the first Sunday uh, in January 2019, I spoke about a very important theme in the life of Storyline, and one that both of these friends thought would be worth reviewing. And I actually agree. You know, with the attention of our nation fixed on issues of race and injustice and marginalized communities, I think it's a great idea to revisit how God sees this issue and why he's calling us to live and love like he does. Jesus, and in fact the entire Bible, makes it clear that God cares about restoration and reconciliation and systems being healed. Listen to this passage in the Old Testament where God is telling the prophet Isaiah what to tell his people, the people of Israel. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side but they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. To the kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like. This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in is seeing you do things like this. Sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own family. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sin, if you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you treat the Sabbath day as a joy, God's holy day as a celebration, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Several years ago, my dear and now departed friend and mentor, Susan Wilson, helped Storyline revise our vision and mission statements. And Today, they go like this. Our vision statement says, we are a community that discovers, experiences, and shares the faith, hope, and love of Jesus with everyone. And our mission statement is inspiring each other to follow Jesus by welcoming God into our daily lives. Susan told me something really interesting after we had worked together 
with the leadership community of Storyline to come up with these. She said, normally, Mike, when I work with an organization to come up with, we come up with these, we brand them. I mean, they're like everywhere. They're on every sign, they're on pens, they're on mugs, they're on t-shirts. Everyone sees them all the time. But I think for Storyline, it would be better if these guided us, but if we learn to say them in our own way, in different ways, all the time. Now, I thought this was such a beautiful and brilliant idea. And now, one of my favorite things to do is to eavesdrop on people when they're describing storyline in their own words. In fact, more than once, Susan and I were together when we'd hear someone do just that. And we'd glance at one another and just in sheer delight. Because what this community means to you and is for you is what it means. I mean, regardless of any vision or mission statement that we might come up with. And Susan was right. Over the years, we have found many other ways of expressing who we are and what we are about. So this morning, I'm hoping to revisit and reframe our vision and our mission once again by looking at this soaring and challenging passage that I just read from Isaiah because I believe it pulses with the passion of storyline and with the very love of God. Let's consider a few points that the Bible is making in this amazing passage. The first is also the most surprising, and it's about who God is talking to, because he is addressing in this passage very religious people. I mean, these are church-going, they're praying, studying, worshiping. These are right-thinking and accurately believing people. And when this passage mentions your fast, it's talking about the High Holy Day of Yom Kippur. This is the Jewish Day of Atonement. And for Jews, this was like, this is Christmas and Easter all rolled up into the 4th of July and New Year's. And to celebrate this day, you had to fast. This is what they thought they had to do to get God on their side. And so this passage is written to and about people who did that and did it perfectly, like to the letter, which is more than a little bit surprising because God is ripping them up one side and down the other here. Now why? Because the fast, the kind of worship that he is interested in, is very, very different than theological accuracy or ritualistic purity and religious observance. He says it here very clearly that the kind of worship that he wants is for us to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation, free the oppressed, share our food with the hungry, care for the homeless, clothe the naked. Did you know that you can go on Storyline's website and you will not find what we believe? There's no long list of beliefs or a statement of beliefs. And that is really like crazy unusual because the church in the modern West has become almost exclusively about what the religious community in this passage was about. The fancy word is orthodoxy or right belief. And this is why we hear a lot of screaming and yelling and arguing and debating, and we see all of this separating in the church today about who is and is not orthodox. And of course, this is followed by excluding, judging, shaming, and shunning. But here, in Isaiah, we see God longing for something else, something called orthopraxy, 
not right believing, but right practice. Or another way to look at this word is good living. And so I get this question all the time, Mike, what does storyline actually believe? And it's a fair question, and I understand why people ask it. And I always answer the same way. I tell them, instead of me telling you what we believe, why don't you come and see? Come in and see how we live, like where we spend our time and talent, who we spend our money on, what preoccupies us and what breaks our heart, what our faith lived out looks like, what we actually really do. And then you tell me what we really believe. That's a powerful scene because she is echoing God's very words According to this passage in the Bible, orthodoxy, being right, what you believe deep down inside is not the goal. It is orthopraxy, what you do, how you live, that defines you. Religion has turned right belief into the end when it is really just a means to the end, the life of love. The life of faith in the grace of God is not about being right. It is about doing good. Let's look at another passage from this same book, Isaiah. God says, when you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all this sheer commotion, quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion. And do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. Now, don't get me wrong. Right belief is important. I'm not saying it isn't. I read about it, talk about it, discuss it, and debate it a lot. Believe me because it can be very, very helpful toward the goal. But right belief alone is insufficient. It is a very useful tool, but it's just a means to the end, good living. How important to God is it that we move through right belief and into good living? One of Jesus' first followers summed it up this way. The only thing that matters is faith expressed as love. Now, before you think this is just like some mushy passage from the Bible or liberal or progressive theology, listen to this conservative evangelical author. He goes even further. God is saying, if you are not engaged in the cause of justice for the poor, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the prisoner, the alien, the refugee, if you don't have a relationship with them, then you don't have a relationship with me. Now, what that relationship, what that engagement looks like, that's not for me or anyone else to tell you. In fact, next week we're going to talk about why very well-intended people can disagree on what love looks like and why that's actually a good thing. So God's not talking here about belonging to the right church or the correct political party. This is not about theology or policy. This is personal. It's not about our government. It's about me 
and it's about you. This has nothing to do with where we go to church or who we vote for and everything to do with who we'll sacrifice for. The bottom line is God is inviting us into some kind of personal connection with and commitment to the dispossessed and the oppressed, the poor, the widow, the prisoner, the orphan, the alien. And what these passages are saying, what they're suggesting is, is both the care that quits at the right religion or that quits at the correct politics is just another lie. Song. Thanks, guys. I love that song because I think it gets right to it. There are so many shocking passages in the Bible where the love of God is described as his love for people in ways that go way beyond right belief. I'll give you another example. In Psalm 68, God claims to be a husband to the widow, a father to the fatherless. The God of the, of the Bible identifies with the most vulnerable people. Now, historians will tell you that this is an absolutely unprecedented view of God. No religion in the history of the world has a God like this. God or the gods of the ancient world always identified with the people like at the top, the rich ruling class, the political elite, the religious establishment. And if you opposed them, you were opposing God. That's just how it worked in every ancient culture. So think about this. It's into this ancient patriarchal society where men were everything and women were nothing that God says, I stand with the widow. I am a husband to the husbandless. Into this ancient culture where being from the right family was everything, God proclaims, I am a father to the orphan. And it's into this ancient world where tribe and race and nationality is the ultimate that God identifies with the alien, the immigrant, the minority, the refugee. This is the love of God. Listen to how Jesus lays this out in one of his parables. He says this, Enter into my kingdom, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me water. I was a stranger and you invited me into your homes, naked and you clothed me, sick and in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Sir, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you anything to drink or a stranger and help you or naked and clothe you? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And I, the king, will tell them, when you did it for the least of these, you were welcoming me. This kind of living, of love, puts a brand new light on our mission, doesn't it? This is the love of God, and it is living like God that we worship him. The heart of God is broken for the brokenhearted. Jesus and his way um, is a challenge to conventional wisdom, to political correctness, and to religious piety. It is a soaring and challenging vision of God and the mission of life. This is what, we, is what he desires and what the life of faith looks like. 
So if you want to know why Storyline doesn't have pages upon pages of belief statements of what we believe about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, it's because all of that becomes such a distraction. It implies that orthodoxy is what matters most, and it doesn't. Orthopraxy is what matters most. Yet the truth is, it's hard to live like that. It's messy, it's complicated, it requires incredible patience, self-sacrifice, enormous generosity with our time, talent, and treasure. treasure. Which brings us to our last question this morning. How do we become a people who live out God's love? Let's go back to this original passage and notice verse 13 and 14. It says, if you treat the Sabbath, in other words, our relationship, God is saying, as joy, as a celebration, then you'll be free to enjoy God. You see, here's the thing. It's not our sense of, it's not out of a sense of duty to believe the right things that inspires us to love. It's not through duty, it's through beauty that we really begin to love like God. In her book on beauty and being just, Harvard professor uh, Elaine Scarry makes the case that duty is totally self-absorbed, but beauty is self-forgetful. This is the freedom that God is inviting us into. The quest to be right, like the duty to be correct in our beliefs, whether they're religious or political, are always in danger of being self-involved and then self-congratulatory. Like if, if we think we're good because we're right, and that leads to self-righteousness, which divides people into us and to them. But the mission to live out the love of God is not a duty, it is a delight. It's a beauty that makes us self-forgetful. And that means willing to be able to face our own shortcomings, to grow in self-awareness without this fear of some kind of debilitating self-consciousness. I mean, I mean, can't you see that today? It's so much in what, um, of what divides us. There are those who like refuse to consider that something, anything, might be wrong with our system or with them. It is a purposeful lack of self-awareness. And then on the other hand, there are those who believe that somehow by claiming our system is so utterly broken that it must be burned down, well, that is like this debilitating self-consciousness. Both come from a warped sense of duty. This assumption that it is being right that makes us good, but not according to God. Being motivated by beauty is different. Falling in love with God and his love for us and his broken heart for the brokenhearted ushers us into a new place where we are unafraid to face our flaws. And so we grow in our self-awareness and we do that without a fear of debilitating self-consciousness. When loving and doing good is our beauty, being right loses its allure, and being wrong loses its shame. My wife, Lisa, 
achieved incredible things playing volleyball. And an old friend asked me one time, like, how did she do that? What was her secret? How'd she go so far and achieve so much? And I told her it comes down to one thing, love. Lisa found beauty in what 99.9% .9 of all volleyball players did out of duty. I mean, like she delighted in running, lifting, yeah, disciplined diet, practicing, and drill after drill after drill. Not because she wanted to be right, it was because she wanted to be good. And the point is, what was a duty to others was a delight for Lisa. Here's what that means. That critique and cor correction that threatened other players was like nourishment for Lisa because she wasn't protecting some false and fragile image of herself where being right and being correct is what made her good. Her only, good, her only goal was in actually becoming good. She wanted this growing self-awareness about all of her faults because it was the beauty of being good at that sport that fueled her, not the duty of being right and protecting her own ego. How can that happen for us? How does living out God's love go from duty to beauty for us? Well, this morning I'd like to suggest that it begins by fixing our eyes and hearts on the love of God. And think about it. Born to a poor, unwed teenage mother, as a baby, Jesus was already behind the eight ball. He immediately becomes a fugitive from the authorities. As a child growing up in Egypt, he was a refugee, as well as a racial, ethnic, and religious minority. As an adult, he was an uneducated common day laborer. The last three years of his life, he was homeless. In the last few days of his life, he rode a borrowed donkey to eat his last meal in a borrowed room. And in the most important moment of his life, the political and religious system not only failed him completely, they actually conspired to kill him. And then he was buried in a borrowed grave. The life of Jesus was all start to finish, totally unjust. One writer put it like this, in a world of, un, of injustice, how could you ever trust in a God that is immune to it? You see, there's no other religion in the world that says that God has experienced injustice, but Jesus did. He knows what it is to be poor, dispossessed, marginalized, to be discriminated against, betrayed, framed, and then to be whipped and beaten by someone you desperately love. That is injustice. And why? Why did he do it? Love. For me and for you. So when he asks us to live like he does, it's not an invitation to right religion or the right political party to some duty to be right. It's an invitation to beauty, the delight of a reckless and raging love. Last song. From duty to delight. 
from duty to beauty. This is the invitation of Jesus to live in and live out the love of God. He does not care about orthodoxy, believing right, thinking right, voting right, as much as he cares about orthopraxy, doing good. This is the heart of God, and I hope and pray it, this is the delight and the beauty that will continue to inspire each of us and all of us together. Which is why, when the pandemic began, Storyline rallied to support individuals and local organizations in desperate need by donating over $13,000. This week, because of the incredible generosity of this amazing community, in a time where most churches and organizations are in survival mode, Storyline is donating another $10,000 to our impact partners serving Berrien County and the House of Blessing Orphanage in Haiti. Being generous with the treasure that God wants to give the world through us is a huge part of what loving the world right again looks like. So thank you so much for helping us to do this. And moving forward, as hard as it is for us to not be together physically, we wanted to find a way to make that sacrifice count yet again for the brokenhearted. And so we're going to be taking the funds that would normally go to our rent every week and giving that away as well. That means that in the last three and a half months, we've given away 10% of our yearly budget and we intend to give even more. I cannot thank you enough for the enormous generosity that you've shown in this time. Look, we may not be together, but we can still love the world right again together. This is the love of God, to worship him by loving one another. And it reminds me of yet another way that I heard a storyliner try to describe what we believe. He said, just being right isn't good enough. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this opportunity to be together. I pray that you would help us to see you as clearly as we can, to believe in you as correctly as we can, but to never let us settle there. Remind us of your heart, of your broken heart for the brokenhearted, and lead us into a life of being and doing good, of loving your children and loving the world right again. I pray that as we log off this morning, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning, folks. This is a holiday weekend, so there won't be a Zoom call today. Please enjoy your day. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday.